Hi, everyone. Just a quick note to say we're really sorry that we weren't able to put out more than one episode last month. It was because I was away in the south of France. But luckily, everything should be back to normal now. C'est le Crystal Gemcast, le podcast analytique de Steven Universe. Oui, cela est le Crystal Gemcast, le premier podcast de Steven Universe tout le monde. And that's enough of that French stuff. My name is Joseph. And I'm an eternal flame, baby. Also known as Army. And we're here today to talk about Steven Universe's first ever game, Attack the Light. And if you don't think we can, we'll probably find a way somehow. Or, uh, we can always reload a save. Attention. Spoiler pression. And just like that bad John Goodman movie, we're back after a month of waiting. And it's good to be back. Now, uh, Joseph here's been on vacation for a while in France, I think. It was really nice, hence the uh, general French openingness that you just heard. Hopefully we didn't turn away any of our listeners who wondered why we were broadcasting in another language. And thanks for your support. We've seen a lot of comments, and so we should go to the mailbag first. What do you think? I'm fine with that. And the first one we got here is from Scalpel on Reddit. Thank you for your reply. So I'm going to quote now. To answer the question, my favourite Beach City resident is definitely Sadie. She is pretty complex for a background character. I can really understand the position she puts herself in with Lars, even when it becomes total BS. Not to mention she's the only human to take down a gem monster on screen. That's kind of badass. Well, I definitely agree with that, Scalpel. And our next comes from Ashy Fellow. Quite enjoying the podcast, always very thought-provoking and super fun. Having bits of the episodes mixed in keeps it interesting and keeps me in touch with my inner fanboy. One minor pedantic nit. I don't think Connie is a resident of Beach City. Bubble Buddies very loosely implies that Connie's dad works at a bunch of different beaches and that the family often moves, and it's cinched in Winter Forecast when Connie's dad calls her and tells her that he's entering Beach City when driving from their home. Gotta say my favorite resident is Onion. Yellowtail's whole family is interesting. I hope we see more of them this season, and I'd love to see Tower Cream's relationship with Onion and his stepdad played out more. Uh, I, I would too, actually, but I actually wonder where Vidalia is, because we, you know, we don't have that confirmation of death or dissipation like we do with Rose, so we just haven't seen Vidalia that much, or... Maybe she was just behind Barb uh, when they got home from the uh, whole Lapis ordeal with the ocean being a, becoming a tower. I guess so. I suppose it's good here to put in a little disclaimer to say that we don't, of course, know yet that Vidalia is the uh, mum in question. But it's very likely. Yep. To be honest, I do think that the problem I have sometimes with the sour cream and onion relationship is that they just don't interact together. Now, I understand that, obviously, older kids or older, you know, young adults don't really want to spend time sometimes with a younger sibling. But look at poor old Onion. I mean, I know he's difficult to deal with, but surely that's more reason that his uh, brother should be helping him. Well, I don't know. Maybe he did something and upset Buck Dewey or something. I don't know. I guess so. Hello, this is Joseph from the future. We recorded the episode just before the episode Onion Fred came out which completely answered all our questions about onion and sour cream and all that other stuff. So I thought I'd just come back from the future just to let you know, yes, we do know about all that stuff now, but obviously we have to keep that stuff in. Anyway, back to the past. And now we're going to move on to Tumblr. And we've got one here from Shelby. Hi, Joseph and Army. Hi, back to you. Uh, to answer your question, for my favourite citizen of Beach City, I have to say Sadie. I find that she's one of the most human characters on the show. Steven Universe gives all its characters great emotional depth, but Sadie feels similar to the young women that I actually know. You guys mentioned body positivity in episode 2. I think Sadie also represents that concept. As a short, chubby, and sometimes insecure person, it's great to see someone like myself represented on TV. Thanks. You know what? Me too. Me too. As someone that is, um, well, maybe not a woman, but definitely uh, fat, and it is good to see... You know, representation on that front, both from Stephen and from Sadie. There are definitely a lot of Sadie fans, um, which I include myself on that fan club. 
I think that uh, Steven Universe has had a very positive impact, especially on the cosplay community in regards to body positivity. One of the things that we were logged on our Tumblr was that a lot of cosplayers, especially heavier cosplayers, cosplay as Rose or Sadie, they don't get the usual derision they usually would from the cosplay scene. They get more positive comments like, Rose is real and stuff like that, and it's amazing, and I and it really touches me. I have to say that the idea that people actually used to give derision to people for trying doing that sort of stuff, it, it upsets me. I mean, it's not something that I would do myself, although I do kind of like dressing up every once in a while for fancy dress. But I can see why people really uh, it appeals to them. And I think that it's good that it's maybe getting people to rethink their prejudices. So I think you have one more um, question to answer. Yep. And this one comes from uh, I Booty Candy, or One Bloody Candy. They signed it twice. Dear Crystal Gymcast, this may have already come up, but is there a DVD set in which the money goes directly to support you? I want to get the one at Walmart, but I want the money to go into supporting the Steven Universe episodes and etc. so forth. Perhaps I'm being dumb. I can't help that I love you guys, though. Sorry for such a weird letter slash ask. Now, um... We're not actually part of the crew universe, so go ahead and buy that DVD set. But uh, in regards to giving money for us, well, that's a very simple answer. We do it for free, because we love you all so much. We do it for free, because mostly we don't want to get sued. That and I'm afraid of the tax, man. <laughs> that being said, we are looking into possible merchandise at some point. Mostly it's just looking at t-shirt designs, to be honest. Okay, and now for the mini topic, a question that we ask each other, and then we put that out to you for next week. And today's question, if you please, Army. Our topic today has to deal with the many, many fan work alternate universes, where the most popular I've seen is the college alternate universe. Uh, I've seen them depicted as human in college and uh, generally hanging out together in the same dorm room or in the same dorm, building, what have you. Uh, so, in this context, what do you think each of the gems and other characters would major in? Okay, great. So, by college, of course, you're talking about university, right? Right. Just to make that clear. Well, I think for the more athletic gems, so ones like Garnet and Jasper, I think they probably would have got to college or university on scholarships. So I can imagine uh, Jasper sort of learning wrestling or possibly um, American football because she's quite bulky. Yep. Whereas with Garnet, I'm thinking that she'd probably learn something like judo. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, for the, for the Olympics. But obviously when they do these things, they also study um, other stuff just in case they get injured. So um, I'm not sure what Jasper would have. I'm thinking she would go into business or something that would uh, be conducive to selling cars at like a used car sales place. That's an interesting one. Um, I think for when we're talking about Garnet, it's got to be... Communications? Ah, uh, I suppose so. Well, she, no, to be fair though, I think it might be counselling because she's very good at listening to other people. Yeah, though she is a bit blunt. True, but sometimes you need that. Well, yes. And again, that's about why she'd be going to uh, universities to better herself. Have those edges sanded off a bit. Yeah. For Amethyst, I was thinking that I could see her going into acting because she's very hyper and she's quite fun-loving. I can just see her being on the stage. But for me, when I see her penchant for pranks, it seems that, like, just from experience, that she would do better as a techie. And maybe she would uh, go into chemistry or robotics to try to do special effects. The only th problem with that is uh, I don't think they'd let her. <laughs> yeah. As for uh, Peridot, I would say I could see her going into robotics because I know that's a bit too close to her original thing, but she did make those probe robots. True, but I could see her going into accounting as well. Just something nice and easy and bureaucratic. Or maybe computer programmer. Yeah, something that doesn't involve a lot of physical labor. She can just sit down in front of a computer, eat a lot of uh, snacks. Green Doritos. Yeah, that old joke. Yep. What would you say for Pearl? Well, I could easily see her as the overachiever type. So I could see her going into a scholarship on with both ballet and violin playing. 
but maybe something in regards to something with either sociology or uh, with history or something where in regards to higher education. And because I can see her uh, trying to aim to be a college professor. Yeah, I'm thinking teaching in some sort of way. I think possibly zoology, because she does seem to like animals, or geography, because she does find the world interesting. And that kind of only leaves Stephen, who I don't really think is cut out for the world of academia. But I can see him hanging around, you know, just to be with everyone else. Yeah, I mean, definitely have like a like a band at the bar. I suppose actually he could take a music course. Yeah, the Philharmonic. You do get degrees, or at least... Um, vocational things for music so like bands and stuff yeah i mean the guy's already pretty multi-talented with instruments i mean if if he does end up being with connie i can imagine connie being the major breadwinner of the family oh well she's really smart and i would say for her science or maths or something yeah something probably her parents would pressure her into but that's just our thoughts so if you have any ideas about what characters from steven universe would go for what degrees give us a buzz you can send us an email at crystalgemcast at gmail.com. You could send... Do we ever check that? I do. Oh, cool. Brilliant. Okay, so we check that. Yep, that, that's good. That's sorted. And we also have our Tumblr. So if you can send us a ask or a message on Tumblr, we'll possibly read that out. And of course, we have our faithful Redditors. So... Yes, please let us know. That is a very good question. The answer is you. <gasps> Me. And now we come to the exception to that age-old rule in video games. There is no such thing as a good licensed video game. Well, to be honest, actually, we kind of had that with um, Strong Bad's cool game for attractive people on the Wii. But this is probably the second one. Well, that in Telltale Games, The Walking Dead... And that one beat-em-up Batman for the Super Nintendo for Batman Returns. So really, there's been quite a lot of good video games. But the vast majority aren't that good. We get those uh, Kool-Aid, in-the-box uh, cartridges for the Atari before cartridges and other media were copyrighted by the respective companies. And let's not forget the Burger King games. Oh, yeah. You can be the king and sneak up on people, because that's not stalking. Oh gosh, I completely forgot about that. Sorry. Ugh. But yes, in amongst the trash, there is good licensed games. And one of them is the game we're talking about today. It's Steven Universe's premier game, and it is Attack the Light. It is for both iOS and Android, which is good off the bat, because to be honest, I get a bit annoyed when you don't get Android versions of ones on iStore. Yep. Maybe it's just because I don't like being left out of things and also because there's a lot of Android users and we take a good share of the market. So, of course, we don't want to be left out of the Stephen goodness. And we didn't, which is wonderful. This game has a lot of continuity, which is uh, especially rare to see when you see the uh, creators of the game and the creators of the show working almost hand in hand. There was a lot of love put into this. You can see a lot of respect. And I think there are some sticky notes floating around Tumblr regarding just how to make Garnet look, you know, what this looks like, what that looks like, etc. and so forth. One thing I remember that shows that is in the original game, Garnet just had Garnet's gem when she split apart if she ran out of health. And that got changed to um, show that she is, of course, a fusion. And the 1.0.2 update, I think it was. Which is amazing to think that they can go back just for all that little bit of detail. Well, yeah, and actually, originally, the uh, gems were red and blue. Or no, no, they were the same color, but then they went back and changed them to red and blue, or one or the other. I cannot remember which is which right now. Well, um, obviously, that sapphires is blue. Well, no, I meant that uh, whether garnets were the same color and the separate red and blue. They were both garnet red, and sapphires was changed to be blue, although it's not ruby red, it's just garnet red. But it's close enough. That's the sort of... Um, Little details that really make this thing come alive. I love the callbacks. I love the fact that you use cookie cat ice cream. You visit the Sea Spire too. Every single environment is from the game, even ones people didn't see yet. Because when the game came out, no one knew what the caves from the first one was from. And we later find out that that's where the um, communication spire is. Oh my gosh, really? Yep. 
I, I never caught on to that. I mostly just paid attention to Strawberry Fields and the Sea Spire, and I thought everything else was just there for the game. Nope, they're all ones that have been done before, and that's wonderful. So does that make the Orange World the kindergarten? I think the Orange one might be the only one that hasn't been seen before. Although it might be the, um, you know, in On the Run, they're sort of on the back of the train and going through the desert. That might be where that is. That's why we're on the run. And also in um, Rose's Scabbard, when they go to the teleport pad, and then before Pearl swaddles Steven and climbs up the Mesa, it looks similar. So there we go. Maybe it's that. And the other thing I think, obviously, the game really takes a lot of inspiration from, of course, is the Paper Mario series. Oh, close to my heart right there. Yeah, me too. And, I mean, all that, all that sort of gameplay started with Super Mario RPG. Legend of the Seven Stars? Yes, which I was never really a big fan of, although... Heresy! I don't like the art style. Oh, I thought it was cute. And it's not just not as good as Paper Mario was. I, that's debatable. That's debatable. Well, I'm, you know, I'm allowed my opinion, aren't I? No. Okay. <laughs> but, I mean, the main thing we get from Paper Mario is the timed hit system, which I think really is one of the best things that ever came onto an RPG. Yeah. Because... I don't think I've seen that before Legend of the Seven Stars, um, because the the closest I can remember that appearing outside of the Mario series was Legend of Dragoon. Is that the Mana series? Well, yeah, but the Mana series was more you charge it up the hit beforehand. Ah, right. I see. That's the difference. I can see that being inspiring to uh, Super Mario RPG and thus Paper Mario afterwards. Probably. So, yes, before that, it was turn-based. You picked your skill from a menu, and that was it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with if you like that sort of combat. I mean, I like to play these sort of RPGs all the time. But there's just something satisfying, uh, pushing the button exactly the right time and doing that extra little bit of damage. And then you get to see the uh, action point system, which is reminiscent of more Western RPGs, uh, like the most recent Shadowrun game that was released on Steam. I mean, that really does come from... The Western style RPGs, like not so much Dungeons and Dragons, but uh, yeah, as you said, the Shadowrun game is based off the old pen and paper RPG system called Shadowrun. So it's all the way back then, yep. and they brought it back, which is good to see. And the other thing I want to sort of bring up before we really get into the meat of the characterization and the plot, which is where we'd be spending most of our time talking about, I want to talk about the fact that the game was made for a mobile platform. And they make a lot of really good design choices that really work for the platform. Especially the fact that the game is divided into rooms and you move from room to room by swiping. I think that really, really helps the game because otherwise you'd be trying to um, move a cursor on the screen and trying to do that on a mobile device without a controller or gamepad is very, very difficult. Don't the NES and Super Nintendo emulators on the iPhone have those things? They do. They're not that great, though. That's the problem. It's like you can emulate it, but it's a lot easier to design your game to not need to, and that's what Attack the Light did. And as well as that, the fact that the game uses timed hits and the fact that, the, as everyone knows, smartphones use touchscreen technology really allows that to be used in interesting ways. You can just tap the screen and boom, it's done. Yeah, it allows you to be a little less precise because I, I got to tell you, I get frustrated by heat reading touchscreens as opposed to the kind that you see in the 3DS and the regular DS. The only weakness with it was Pearl's special techniques required you to to pull back from a specific corner of the screen and if you have a smaller screen, like I do, a lot of Pearl's more advanced techniques sort of get locked out for you just by design. I would suggest anyone playing this game and that has a tablet, get it for the tablet. Yeah, I've seen my dad play it on the tablet and it's much easier. As well as the fact that it's just much easier to um, tap in the right place when it comes to that. So now we're going to move on to the game and Steven, because Steven has an interesting role in the game that is very different to a lot of other games. As this takes place before Sworn to the Sword, 
we don't see Stephen mastering his shield yet, which means he takes more of a cleric or a bard or an alchemist role in the party if we're going to use analogies from mainstream uh, RPGs. Which really makes a lot of sense when you consider that Stephen, in general, he's not a fighter. His general thing is helping the gems, either by coming up with ideas or by encouraging them. And that really works in the game because the health in this game isn't actually health. It's how the gems are feeling. And so Stephen helps to keep the gems happy and thus healthy by giving them sugary treats, singing them songs. You know, he's being that backup. He's being that team player that Stephen's very good at being. And then he later gets buffs and uh, status curing as part of his repertoire. That's true. Not to mention the ability to run away. I love that the fact you have to actually earn the ability to run away. I think I used it all of once. Yeah, the game is not really useful to run away in this game. With enough uh, brute force, you should be able to do it. And the other thing that Stephen provides to the game is he is the inventory in the trusty cheeseburger backpack. Cheeseburger backpack! Cheeseburger backpack! Cheeseburger backpack! Good to see that making a return here. Yep. Stephen's obviously, as we said, had the health-generating items, but also items that um, increase the amount of star points. As we mentioned before, star points was the points you needed to be able to use the abilities. And it's basically the only items you'll ever need besides the level-up crystals. Well, health. Obviously, you need the health. That's neither here nor there. I suppose not. I mean, the, the other abilities are useful in as much as they can give you buffs and remove debuffs. But the problem with any sort of buffing system is they're only as good as if you have the time to use it. And a lot of time people will forget about it. Well, true. But at least it's not like trying to use status effects in Final Fantasy. Well, that they're designed to never really work, aren't they? Let's be honest. Yeah. It'd be too easy to just poison the boss and then it just die without much effort. Actually, I don't think I've n uh, ever heard of a single instance of status effects really working unless it was reflect. Unless, of course, it's the enemies doing it to you, in which case it always works. Yeah, yeah. These games were created to be hard, unfortunately. That's just how it is. But back on subject. Well, we are technically on subject, but yes, back to Stephen. Um, I like how they use Stephen's natural lack of experience and his naive nature to help act as the tutorial which really helps cut down on the tutorial pop-ups. Now, there still are a few tutorial pop-ups right at the beginning, but largely tutorials are done via the gems explaining things to Steven. I mean, obviously, for those sort of people that um, aren't fond of tutorials in general, you know, like messing around, there is tutorials here, but to be honest, I think that's a small percentage of people. Most people like being told, given the general basics of what to do and then experimenting from there. And the main thing is that at least they're not very long and they're easily skippable. Well, there's that, but there can even be tutorials worked into the gameplay. Like if you watch extra credits and their analysis of uh, Super Mario Brothers World 1-1, in that everything that the game does in that first stage teaches you everything you'll need to know throughout the game because it gives you that extra room to the right to show you where to go. And then once the camera centers you, there's your first enemy, your first health item, etc. and so forth, and the way everything's placed. And I think that the game does a lot to also do that through the conversations with the gems. I think the other cool thing about the game is the fact that it gradually reveals things to you. And it reveals certain things later on in the game. So if you haven't actually known about it, like the secret doors you have to go back to find them. And I think that's quite interesting because it gives people reasons to go back and retry the levels, you know, to get the 100%. And there are vendors throughout the game and you can miss almost all the red gemstones that are required for the super secret doors. But there's one very late in the game that you can buy and it's very easy to find and it really encourages you to go back and find th these things by introducing it at that point in the game although full disclosure here i missed that one well then again i don't know maybe it was just me because i poked around through everything during my first time playing through it well i managed to find the other ones it was that was the one i couldn't find for some reason i think i missed a badge that way too 
what's helped is they've actually updated the game now so that it makes it clear if you're missing something. Like the hundred, the percentage goal now includes items. Not to mention they fixed that glitch with the fusion at uh, the third stage. What glitch was that? Well, you know how Alexandrite is required for story reasons? Yes. Well, if you use Alexandrite before that point in the story, before the update, you would lock yourself out of being able to use Alexandrite, and you would have to exit the stage, and until you go back and clear that, your menu's going to be a little wonky. That is the way players are. They're always going to try and monkey with the system. Oh, I found that out by accident. That's what I mean. But some people will go and do it on purpose, and some people will find it by accident. It's just one of those funny things that just happens. That's why um, good a lot of playtesting is really important, and to try and think the way a player would, and to just try everything. Though, to be fair, they did playtest it rather well. There's only a few glitches out there. I know that, indeed. But when you think about all the things you can do in a game, it just goes to show that even with the best QA team, you're still going to be a few boats slipping their way in there. It's just the nature of the beast. Yeah, true. Speaking of conversations, though, um, the final thing we want I really want to bring up about Steven is the fact that he's asked questions by the other gems. Now, part of that is to um, build up the story, and part of that is to just, you know, just nice moments between Steven and the gems. And it also helps keep engaging the players. Definitely. But the thing with the questions are they also get tied into the mechanics by giving an EXP. So some of the questions are just a general question that Steven gets asked, and each of the answers is going to please one of the gems, and the one that he picks, they react positively to and get experience. And there are a few that have failure options that don't do anything, especially at the last boss where you have to defeat by talking it to death. Well, death isn't quite the word I'd use, but yes, you're defeating it with friend. the power of friendship. And of course, if you don't say the right things, you have to go through more of the battle. It's Stephen coming to a realisation, and we'll get back to that when we come to the plot, but it works really well. So what's your opinion about the Gems army in this game? My real opinion is that all you need is Garnet. All you need is Garnet. I mean, she is the pure single DPS fighter. She has a good defense. She has some splash damage later on with Rocket Fists. She's integral in the first two that can smash through barriers like the strawberries, rocks, shells, and stuff like that. Amethyst can also do that later on, but Garnet is the first to attain an ability that does so. And so you can pretty much go through the entire game soloing with Garnet. Uh, There are only a few things that uh, Amethyst can do that Garnet can't. Like, Amethyst can hit targets that are too high or are invisible, and Pearl can do some debuffs that neither Amethyst or Garnet can do. I think for me, I think I'll definitely agree with you that I think Amethyst is underpowered, because um, her normal weapon just does not do enough damage. I know it can hit everyone at once, which can be helpful, especially against the uh, little uh, enemies. But even then, they're still way more powerful than her whip is. Yeah, though I do have to say that if you couple her attack with anti-purple and anti-orange, that she suddenly starts surpassing Garnet for those two worlds, but only those two worlds. For me, uh, when we're talking about Pearl, she actually has a lot of usage. I mean, I know that, yes, you can just go through the game with Garnet because she does the most damage and she has a lot of health and defense. But the amount of stuff that Pearl can do, I found that some of her attacks were really helpful. In particular, I really liked the fact that when she could throw a spear, I could hit like several monsters at once, especially the really, really big monsters or, you know, light creatures. Yeah. It really worked for them, I suppose, because it was armor-piercing, and they have a lot of armor. So I found that the spear, you know, throwing spear worked. So what technique did you often use Pearl for? Honestly, I set up my party like this. I have Garnet doing most of the stuff, but I have Amethyst working if there's a lot of smaller enemies to weaken them, and then use Pearl to knock off a few that, you know, were about ready to go. But generally, I use Pearl to stop larger enemies that are in major parties and stopping them from attacking, uh, and largely buy myself a little bit more time to go 
three on one against a large enemy pairs as opposed to three on two large enemies that do lots of damage. So just so that everyone knows, Pearl has the ability to stun enemies. Yep, with Hollow Pearl. Sometimes with up to three turns, as long as you don't hit them with anything. But I think that that's the uh, that's the drawback, though, and I think that's a fair trade off. Oh yeah, it should be way too powerful if that trade off wasn't there. But I find that Pearl's other techniques, well, with my tiny screen, become a bit of a boondoggle. But honestly, Garnet, you just need Garnet. Just you punch things, you rocket punch things, you do the chain six punch. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do five rings of death. Um, <laughs> I just couldn't tap fast enough. Uh, actually, it's not really much of uh, a speed thing, as I figured out. It's just more of a, you just continue the regular pattern of the normal punch just a few more times. Well, I still couldn't do it. That, I think that move in particular has a high learning curve, because that, that was the, one of the moves that took me the longest to get used to. That and um, the Purple Puma's aiming. Yeah, I couldn't use that. The other thing I used Pearl for in the game was the fact that she has the least costly attack in the whole game. So if, say you've got Garnet punching things, if that's overkill, you might as well just use Pearl's um, regular attack. You can use it twice if you need to, on two different enemies. So I think that's the other use for Pearl in the game. The thing I used Pearls for in one playthrough, though, is that it's not readily apparent when you start the game. But as you level her up, she gets the most luck upgrades of any of the three. And so you can easily gear her into being a crit fiend. And there are some badges that have effects based off of luck. And so coupling that together can make Pearl one of the stronger people in your party. I think that's actually what happened to me accidentally. I just noticed that as I was going through and then I found the Cree, the lucky badges. And I was like, ah, this would be helpful. And it was. Come on, you always know what to do. You've got to show her what you showed me. That you're strong, Pearl. Strong in the real way. Though the one that, that lets you farm star points through hitting enemies is the last thing you get in the game. So it's pretty much useless by the time you get it. To be fair, though, that would be way too overpowered. True. So I think it's best if we now uh, move to talking a little bit about the plot. Now, to be honest, there's not a lot of plot there, like an episode of Steven Universe, but there is one there. So the main uh, antagonist for the entire game is the light, as hence attack the light, that's what it's called. It comes from a, another dangerous artifact that they let Steven play with, and... Why do they do that? It's because Pearl said that it's only dangerous in the hands of a powerful gem, and then they lampshaded that Steven isn't very powerful yet. And then when Steven grabs it, he accidentally triggers the mechanism and the light bursts through the roof and off into the horizon. Let's be honest here. Pearl really does underestimate Steven sometimes. Well, so did Amethyst. She was the one that handed it to him. You see, if Garnet had been there... Garnet was there. Oh, darn. Did they all take stupid pills that day? Eh, sometimes you have to hold the idiot ball for the plot, like in Portal. But Garnet has future vision. Well, she probably didn't use it. That's the problem with the power that you have to actually think to use. I mean, if it was always on, I suppose she'd go mad. But with Keystone Motel, we saw that Sapphire basically spams it. Yeah, but she was in a bad mood. Spoilers much. We're only a couple of days away from that. I don't know. We, we do have the spoiler warning at the beginning of the episode. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> By the way, guys, um, just so you know, we are... Have been watching the Stephen Bomb. And it's amazing so far. Yeah. Sardonyx is cool. Ruby and Sapphire are the cutest couple. Oh my god. Okay, okay. Let's just turn that down. Turn it down. Okay. Ruby and Sapphire are the cutest couple. Oh my god. But um, because of the way that our podcast works, we won't really be discussing Stephen Bombs as Stephen Bombs. It'll be more when they become relevant to the actual topics. We've had a lot of people asking about it, so I thought we'd best to put that in there. Yep. Anyway, so back to the plot. So Stephen lets the light loose, and the light starts infesting areas, and Stephen and co. go to beat it up. And they have the device with them, so when they find the creatures, the different coloured light, 
like because the, the, there's boss enemies and they try and capture it back in the prism. And that's mostly the main stories you're going through. Not much really there apart from references to the show. And it turns out at the end that the light is a semi-sentient AI that appears to follow the patterns of its owner and its own programming. And it turns out that it was testing the gems in battle. And then Steven's like, no, you can do whatever you want. And then they all turn into Steven and uh, go with live with the watermelons. At least that's what happens in my head canon. I do wonder why they all turn into Steven. I don't know. You think Steven's pretty cool? He is. But, like, I don't know. Just, we already have one Steven. Even having the watermelon Stevens was a bit too much. I don't think we need an entire army of light Stevens. Well, at least it's not going to turn into Tomie. I don't know what that is. A Jinji Ito manga. Oh, that, that horror guy. Yep. I still haven't gotten over the mystery of Amigara Fault. Tomie is actually his, uh, one of his earlier works, and one of his most prominent earlier works before Spiral and Amigara Faults. If any of you guys want to uh, read those sort of things, I would suggest you uh, brace yourself. And uh, don't read Gyo. Just, just save yourself some time. Except for that one panel. That one panel. Gushunk! I don't even know what Gushunk is. It's the sound that a shark makes when it goes through a door. That is the best sound effect ever. <laughs> Look! Here's the hole I came out of! Hang on. What? It's my hole! <laughs> Look, it's me, Sai! I think what I find interesting about the game, plot-wise, is the fact that the light actually comes to try and speak to him several times, and it's the other gems that basically tell Steven to capture it, and Steven's just on the cusp of working it out, and the gems blunder in, and like, no, you've got to beat it up. But this is from uh, a lot of their characterization before they started really putting a lot of trust into Stephen, because with Chile Teed, you know, Pearl, instead of questioning Stephen like she did back with the uh, Robonoids, she instantly goes, you know, Stephen, what is it with your dreams? How can you communicate with your dreams? And not, that's impossible, you can't do that! They do, um, and this was set definitely earlier on in season one. Yeah. So it's good to see that change. I think this had come in before Jailbreak. It did. Definitely before that. Before, um, I think it sort of came before any of the Stephen Bomb episodes. Yeah. You know, original Stephen Bomb. Though, back to the game, there's actually another re Nintendo reference in that the uh, hieroglyphics that the light talks in before that final confrontation looks like the unknown characters from... Uh, Pokemon, the the different uh, uh, unknowns, the you know the A B C D E F etc. So forth. Oh, those strange things. Yeah, I didn't really realize that. That's a really cool find. It was just the first thing that I thought of. I was at that age when Pokemon was first really hugely popular with red, blue, yellow, gold, silver, and all that kind of stuff. The final thing I really want to point out about the plot, which I think is pretty cool, is the fact that this game is in fact canon. Yeah. Yes. You don't really see that a lot. You know, I doubt, like, the Legend of Korra's video game is canon. For those who have might have wondering what we're talking about when we say canon, what we're saying is that in the universe of the show, this actually happened. The only things that would not um, count as really happening is anything that contradicted anything that happens in an episode. Again, that's why it got changed to have the Ruby and Sapphire change I'm just glad that we don't have the levels of canon like we do with Star Wars. Well, that's not happening anymore. All that stuff got exploded, didn't it, with by Disney? What? So now, so now there's no more G canon than like the lower levels of canon. Well, I know that all the book series just doesn't exist anymore. It's not. It's non-canon. Aw, Darth Bane is such a cool name. I know, but there we go. And then there's that Revan book. You know, Disney's got to sell more stuff. Uh, well, if they, they can sell, like, another sequel to Knights of the Old Republic that isn't an MMO. Oh, have you actually heard? They're at, um, making a, a single-player mode of that, so you don't have to do any of the MMO stuff. Oh, cool, because, honestly, I bought that game, and I was so disappointed when they went to free-to-play, because I paid $60 for it. I have to admit, though, it's a good game. It, 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 well, it was fun. It was fun for what it was. Though I still, I, I gotta say, I still love KOTOR and... 
when you have the mods for the Sith Lords restored content mod and Planet M478 restored, oh, KOTOR 2 becomes so much better. They are very good games. Yeah. Although much uh, darker than Steven Universe is. Are you sure? Well, I'd, I would. Well, not, not anymore, I suppose. HK47 would fit in perfectly. Well, just uh, coming up to Steven calling him a meatbag. And- no, no, no. Like, uh, as master, because that's what he always calls uh, whoever he currently sees as master. And so he'd probably refer to, you know, like Ronaldo as a meatbag. And- Which he is. Yes, he is. We should start a Ronaldo hate club. Two members. There'll be more than two. Aw, but how do we maintain exclusivity? We wouldn't. Aw. But for all the good things about this game, there are a few pitfalls, and, I mean, they're very, very small nitpicks, but honestly, we wouldn't be analytical if we just praised it. You know, like we mentioned, Garnet can pretty much solo the game with Steven, uh, especially when you get that lowered bubble cost. Just for those wondering about the bubble thing, if you play the game and you bubble someone, it gives them a shield. And then if you defend by tapping when they attack you, it counterattacks. So obviously giving bubble shields to Garnet increases their attack um, and also stops her being knocked off the stage by giant bugs. Because that's the big thing that they do to stop you from just using one character is they char- the big bugs can charge up and headbutt the gem off the screen and they don't come back for several turns but when there's a bubble on that doesn't happen so just a bit of balancing issues there really speaking of balancing issues amethyst is very 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 niche at the beginning of the game she's a little bit useful because she can still keep up with garnet and pearl in terms of damage but that ceases to be true almost midway through the first stage the Badges help specialize her so that she is useful in very specific situations, but she continues to be one of the least useful of the party. This form isn't sustainable, Amethyst. But you're the one who said I needed to be stronger! Meanwhile, you can put Pearl into a niche and have her work uh, like that as either a defensive tank that debuffs or as a crit fiend. And still maintains relevance throughout the entire game, but Amethyst sort of wavers in and out in terms of usefulness. There's also the fact that the rocket arm's power is definitely overpowered. For for a start, it can attack any enemy in the game, including invisible ones. Now, most of the time, you can't attack invisible enemies. Unless you're using Amethyst's whip. Yeah, so that obviously makes Amethyst even less useful because now the Garnet can just blow up anyone in a certain area and make them visible again. And we talked about the cheeseburger backpack before and how we can use cookie cats and such and so forth, but you really only need one item in the game. You Well, two. The level-up crystals are always helpful because they're instant level-ups, but you're pretty much going to be using the star fruits, the super star fruits, and the white star fruit throughout the entire game as your major item that's used because any boss fight instantly becomes that much easier with just using a white star with a full health on all the gems and then instantly pulling out Alexandrite for huge damage and debuffs. And so you really find yourself not using the fire salt, the beefy headband, the bicycle helmet, etc. so forth. You will still probably need to use some health if, like me, you're bad at blocking. Yeah, I, it took me a while to get used to that, so the Together Breakfast was very, very useful, but the Cookie Cats generally lose all significance once you get the Together Breakfasts. Except the Cookie Cat Bits. I found that's kind of helpful because it's, um, it's gradual regeneration of health. That sometimes came in useful, but only in certain circumstances. Speaking of Alexandrite, developers put in a lot of restrictions on Alexandrite, and for good reason. Alexandrite does a lot of damage and puts on debuffs at the same time. She has a high action cost, requiring the maximum 9. She also cannot be used twice in the same battle, thus causing one of the earlier glitches we talked about. And she requires full harmony on all gems. 
However, if you have fully healed gems come into a boss fight, then use the white star, you pretty much started the battle off on a really good first note. The only time that wouldn't happen is if you were being ambushed. Well, true, but even then, it's not that hard to bubble up for a couple of rounds while uh, cycling through healing. And then you've got that free Alexandra again. And then after that, you can continue to act as if you started the battle without using Alexandrite. The real big problem with the game, then, in some ways, is the fact that White Star Fruits are just too common. I would agree there, because I would use them every boss battle I could, especially after I got Alexandrite, and it makes the game so much easier. And it's not like with uh, Elixirs in Final Fantasy, where they're so good that you hoard them until the final boss. Yeah, that's the major problem. I think, in general... When you look at the distribution of items, you get items far too easily. And you get so much um, of the currency in the game, it's trivial to buy anything that you need when you come to a shop. I think a bit more scarcity would have forced a bit more danger into the game. Again, because I'm not that good with my reflexes, I found the game moderately difficult. Although I think that now that I know how the game works, I could generally go through it and beat it quite quickly. But I still have fun doing it, and that's the main thing, I think. Yeah, I think that um, the game was still moderately difficult in my first couple of run-throughs. Um, now I can sort of breeze through it like I can with a lot of games that I got used to. But at the same time, you know, these are very small nitpicks, you know, over a game that is... Honestly, they could have charged more for it, and I still would have thoroughly enjoyed it and thought that it was worth the price. And it's only like, what, $4? Something like that, Yeah. And think about that, for the price of a really expensive coffee, you can have hours and hours of fun playing a game on your phone with Steven Universe. And again, this is one of the few, like Sturgeon's Law, the 10% that's worth fighting for a good of licensed video games. Especially when it comes to mobile games. Card Notes has a really good track record now with mobile games, because there was this, and my other game that I play a lot of is uh, Card Wars from Adventure Time, which is a really, really addictive um, card game. Oh, you mean Hearthstone? No. (laughs) No, completely different. Card Wars is totally different. But uh, is it like that training card game that was like digital that was back in like the late, like the mid 2000s, like where you could have like Samurai Jack and the Powerpuff Girls in the same party? I think it's completely different. Right. I never heard of that one, though. That sounds really cool. It was, but I don't know if it's around anymore. Why is it that all the cool things happened in the 90s have gone, and we only remember all the miserable things? Oh, actually, this is from the mid-2000s. Fair enough. Everything dies, unfortunately. Yeah. Even card games. I do not play such games with Jake. All right, we're coming to a close here. Uh, hey, Joseph, what's your final thoughts here? I don't really have much to say because we've mostly already said it, but I definitely think that I'm really glad to play the game. I'm really glad that it, the link between Steven Universe crew and the people that made the game was close because it's something we really need to see in other games, especially the fact that although there wasn't much of a story, it was still a good story and it helped push the game along. So really, I just want more games to be like this one, I guess. It's where I'm really getting at. Yeah. I I can see that. I definitely want to see a sequel. Oh, definitely. I'd love to see a bit of a bigger sequel, though. But I know that it gives you that confidence. When someone's made a good game, you actually start to think, yeah, this next one's going to be good. Which can sometimes be a problem, but oftentimes it can be good. Especially with one with a good track record. So, uh, what are your final thoughts, really? Well, I've said pretty much all I want to say in regards to the game. But I do want to take a little time out here, since we're talking about video games, to really mourn one of the greats in video games, Mr. Uh, Satoru Iwata. And um, he died recently at the age of 55, and he's been executive producer at Nintendo for years and years and years. And uh, all the while, he's been the face of the company uh, and has helped really hammer down its image of innovation, of games that are fun to play, of characters that are fun to be around. And he will be sorely missed. He will. Before he did Nintendo, he was the president of HAL Laboratories, 
And that was when, during the time when they made two of their biggest hits, um, Earthbound, the really quirky, weird, and oftentimes really kind of creepy RPG, which deserves a lot more love than it gets, although it gets a lot of love, to be fair. And uh, possibly one of my favourite game series ever, Kirby. Um, I know that he didn't, obviously he didn't make, invent Kirby, but he was still the guy that led the company at the time. And if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have Kirby. We've heard lots of stories about all of the support that he's provided to so many developers for their ideas. You know, he's helped with Legend of Zelda, with Mario, just so much that he's contributed to. And, you know, I don't know who's going to, you know, go up next, but those are some huge shoes to fill. And he will be sorely, sorely missed, if I haven't said that already. He will. But, you know, that's the thing with life is... It always, you know, it always ends at some point, and the best you can do is to remember the good times, you know, and keep people in your thoughts. And I really hope that their uh, the fat his family are doing okay. that about wraps it all up for today so it's time to talk about where you can find us you can find us on facebook if you just search for the crystal gem cast you can find us on twitter at, at crystal gem cast we're really trying to build up our facebook and our twitter profile so if you're already following us on other platforms and aren't following us there please do we'll be posting um, a lot more discussions on facebook so if you want to be getting in on those, which I'm sure you do, find your way to the page and that'll be wonderful. Um, of course, if you want to actually listen to other episodes, then we are on SoundCloud, the Crystal Gemcast. We are also on iTunes. And if you could like and subscribe and give us a rating on that, that would be wonderful on iTunes. And even better, if you could leave us a review. For every review, pushes us up on the search rankings. And of course, there is our wonderful Tumblr, where we like to post and reblog our thoughts and other people's art. Sometimes our own art. Yes, I mean, actually can draw. I can't. Uh, can draw. Uh, you know, that's very loosely. But, you know, if you still want to see that, that's wonderful if you can do that. And of course, we always post our, our episodes on Reddit, which, again, we really appreciate our Redditors because they are generally our most frequent commenters and without you guys giving us support we wouldn't be able to do what we do and we'll also be reblogged by tm stash you can generally find us there a couple days after we've posted the episode out in soundcloud hooray for nepotism <laughs> so yes thank you very much for listening uh, have a happy whatever time it is you're playing this goodbye mr water i'm joseph and i'm army and if you ever have to go and meet someone on the internet and you're not back in one hour Call the police. Bye. All right, bye-bye. That was the Crystal Gemcast. Our credits music, Stronger Than You, was written by Estelle and Rebecca Sugar and arranged and performed by UC Berkeley. Steven Universe was created by Rebecca Sugar and is a production of Cartoon Network Studios. Thanks for listening.